Welcome to the Social Work Stories podcast. We wanted to let you know that this episode was recorded several days prior to Australia, the U.S., and many other countries declaring states of disaster due to COVID-19. With each passing day, we continue to learn more about the gravity of this unprecedented pandemic. Our thoughts and care got to all of our social work tribe around the world, your families, and the people you work with who have been impacted by this virus. Good evening, Min. Hi, Liz. Welcome to the Social Work Stories podcast. Thank you. I'm so pleased to be here. Come and sidle up beside me because it's only a few more sleeps till when. This is exciting. So next Tuesday, it's World Social Work Day again. Yeah. You remember last year? I do. World Social Work Day. Not only did we re- do record a really interesting episode where we talked a lot about World Social Work Day, but also together we went to some World Social Work Day events. In fact, you and I have spent World Social Work Day together for the last five years, I think. I think you're absolutely We're coming right. up to our five-year anniversary. In so many ways. And, um, and this year is kind of a weird year for World Social Work Day. It's the year when I feel like social workers around the world, around the globe, should be coming together in unity. And wouldn't that be good? Except... I can't promise. So so the the conference that I'm organizing that you're going to speak at, yeah. We still do not know whether it's going ahead. I know. Because I know. of the good old coronavirus. COVID-19 has really affected us in so many more ways than we could ever have predicted. And the hysteria in Australia, I mean, I'm sure our listeners have heard about how hard it is to get toilet paper in our country right now and toothpaste now. Oh, and the other day I was at the supermarket and there was no oil, Liz. Like, what is happening? It's when the coffee stops. That's when there is (laughs) going to be rioting in my street, I can tell you. I know. I hear you loud and clear. And um, I... It just really concerns me that in this time where we have just had bushfires and floods and every uh, event under the sun, we should be coming together. And actually, thanks to this lovely virus and its hysteria, that actually we don't. So we've already had some of our colleagues event next week for World Social Work Day. Another conference has already been cancelled and I was planning on going there as well. And then the one that we're supposed to be doing together next week is on the verge of being cancelled. Look, soon it'll get to a point where even our little podcast crew can't be in the same room. That will be a sad Because the numbers day, keep friend. on dropping. It's going from no more than 100, no more than 50. I hear <laughs> that the children's hospital, no more than 10 can No more than 10 in one in a room. room. Yes. <gasps> mm. Oh my gosh! Well, that just throws any social work meeting out the window. It's a game You've of got cards. At least Ten people all talking at the exact the same time. Yes, <laughs> yes. So fingers crossed. But in any case, yeah. our thoughts go out to all our social work friends and colleagues. Our tribe. We, our tribe. Our and the fireside is that much more virtual. And I will pop a glass of champagne to celebrate World Social Work Day. World Social Work Day. Absolutely, me too. Hopefully we can do that in the same space this year, Liz. (laughs) And what better way to celebrate World Social Work Day than a good social work story? Absolutely. Which I think we have one. We do. We do. You know, with all the social work interventions that we do all the time in our profession, 
Do you have any favourites? Like, I... Okay, so so all of them, but, you know, I do like a good group. I know you do. And we've spoken about groups a couple of times on this podcast because both of us have run groups at different points in our careers, right? I tend to think that every time I'm in a social work class, I'm running a group. But... Absolutely. We've both run therapeutic groups, psychoeducational groups. Have you ever run a purely educational group that then didn't turn into a psychoeducation group? Ooh. You know, I nearly said a cancer survivors group, but of course not. I mean, yes, you might be talking about nutritious food or sleep. But invariably the stories come in and the connection goes on within the group and the group dynamic becomes a therapeutic process. So I guess not really. Yeah, well, that's right. I think it's the byproduct of running groups with vulnerable peoples, uh, with issues that have brought them together, yeah, that then when people start telling their stories, it does actually become therapeutic in nature and in the dynamic. So this is a really interesting story today that we're going to be discussing where a social worker is running a group for women who have come out of domestic violence relationships. And it sounds like they're actually in a bit of a transition phase, these women. Yeah. Yeah, I got that impression too. I might have to re-listen to it, but my impression is that mostly they have newly left or are thinking of leaving the violent relationship. A space for really... um strong social work skills oh yeah yeah so let's have a listen and then come back Uh, my area of social work is um, predominantly as a group facilitator so I work in a number of organizations where um, I facilitate or co-facilitate groups one type of group is a parenting group um, with parents who have been in conflict for um, fairly long time often um, and they're either court mandated or they're there voluntarily trying to get to focus a little bit more on their children and the other groups that I run are with women one is a self-esteem group and the other is um, a group for women who are currently in violent relationships so domestic violent relationships or um, have recently left a violent relationship or have a history of um, going back, you know, to numerous relationships that aren't healthy. So uh, they're not therapeutic groups, they're educational groups. However, when there's a lot of emotion in those rooms, they tend to have a, a little bit of um, a therapeutic touch to them. So uh, one of the trickiest parts, I think, of facilitating those women's groups is that there is a lot of emotion in the room and Uh, people, depending on their personalities, where they're at in their journey, often want to share their story. And as a facilitator, we need to ensure that all members are safe in the room and we don't know. Um, I certainly am powerless in knowing where they're at with their journey or whether or not I'm even going to have any impact on them. Um, And in fact, that's one of the things that I love most about group work is that it ends up being the group members that do all of the work and bring about the biggest change rather than the facilitator themselves. Um, So the job as the facilitator is to establish safety and if somebody is about to um, 
overshare and potentially uh, compromise that safety in the room, it's the job of the facilitator to stop them. However, that can be tricky because um, I think as women, one thing we don't like to interrupt. And um, also I want to be respectful to the person who is wanting to tell their story. Um, but I think you've got to um, support the majority of the women in the room and stop them sometimes before they say things that can be potentially upsetting or uh, make the entire group unravel. And I think often of this one particular group that I was running and um, there was about a dozen women in the room and this one particular woman, she was small in stature but had a very big presence in the room. She was um, currently an addict, she was using at the time and um, was quite aggressive. This group went for eight weeks and she was quite aggressive in one way or another, sometimes before group started, during group. Uh, it was a really challenging um, group to manage, but she was very big on punctuality. So um, I worked that out pretty quickly. And when you're working in a women's centre, you can't, it's difficult sometimes to start things on time because stuff happens. Women come in and they've got an immediate issue or... Uh, and sometimes you've got to be with those women at that time rather than starting the group on time. And usually people will understand, but this one particular woman, I don't think she had a lot of control at the time um, over many parts of her life and perhaps being punctual was the thing that she did have control over. So she let me know that and she uh, would regularly point to her watch as we were talking or when the group was about to start. Um, and one of the most essential parts in my opinion of setting up a group is and having a successful group where people continue to come back each week is safety for everybody in the room so that um, especially when there's been violence and there may have been yelling or physical violence um, isolation and um, I was very concerned with this particular woman because um, things would happen in the group uh, like we were, we would put out mandalas for the women to colour in and one of the group rules that the women had established was that one person spoke at a time and this one young woman in the room um, asked another person for a mandala and then um, the group member that I was talking about sort of fired up and said, only one person's allowed to speak at a time here and very quickly there was um, risk of, uh, well, the look on everybody's faces said it all. Um, she was quite terrifying and there was a real risk of people not turning up week after week because of this particular woman's behaviour. Um, so I had to, at that time, say to this woman in front of everybody, we need to ensure that um, we're respectful to everybody and I appreciate that you don't want people to speak over the top of each other and absolutely that's one of our rules but I think we need to be a little bit flexible around that um, to ensure that everybody feels comfortable and I think that's one of the main learnings and, and one of the things that I carry with me into each group is that you really do have to appeal to the mass, the, the majority of people in the room um, over and above the needs and wants of one person. And that doesn't always work because um, I don't, this particular 
participant, I got the sense that she absolutely didn't like me and um, didn't want to be told because she was right. That was a group rule that we don't um, talk over the top of other people. And I did say that to her, that she was correct. But also it was um, kind of just really disruptive on and off throughout the weeks. Um, this woman had a really strong trauma background. So um, like incredibly big background. Um, she would start up uh, each week saying, walking through the kitchen and as I would be kind of getting the fruit and things prepared, she would say things to me like, hurry up, we need to start on time. Just like that. And I kind of, um, yeah, I'd never, I've never come across anything like that before. And I felt that I did have to sort of put her needs ahead of some of the others at times and it was tricky. And what I ended up doing was taking um, some of the other women during the break. The break is a beautiful time during group work, I think, where you can um, have that moment where you're not quite so guarded. And I would say to them, you okay with what's going on? And one of the magical things about what happened in that group was that the women were really compassionate towards this particular participant. And uh, even though she yelled, and I think she yelled at someone pretty much every week, usually me, but she yelled at everybody. Um, and it would come out of nowhere. And But they were really compassionate towards her, very kind. And that's the beautiful thing that I love about group work. I was watching this thinking, oh, well, I might be having a bit of sweaty palms here, not sure where this group's going to go and how am I going to contain it. But the women didn't seem to be like that. And as I took them aside, rather than this participant and said, are you okay? Are you all right to come back? Is there anything that you need? They were all sort of like, no, it's fine. I think, you know, it's okay. And they actually would make this participant cups of tea. Um, it was quite fascinating to watch when these very vulnerable and frightened women stepped up to help somebody else. And that's the kind of magic that can only take place in a group setting, I think. Um, one of the things that was really interesting about this was that this participant didn't really contribute. In fact, when we went round and spoke about, even did a check-in to see how people were going, she would either pass or just not answer me. Um, I thought that she was really unhappy at the group. I took her aside um, after the second week and we spoke and I said, are you okay? And she said, no, nope, don't like it. Um, and gave me very little information about where she was at. And I said to her, I just want you to do one thing. And I just want you to keep turning up. If you can just keep turning up, that's all I'm asking of you, one foot in front of the other. And um, she did, she kept turning up. She was certainly very punctual. Um, and by about the fourth week, there wasn't as many aggressive comments coming from her. We were making sure that we started on time and um, so she had very little impact in some ways on the group at that stage because she was saying less. But then um, by the about the sixth week, which is when I often think the magic happens in group work, everybody's got to know each other a little bit better and the facilitators are certainly saying less and the participants are working harder and you've kind of got through that storming stage of group work. And she um, just very calmly put her hands on the table, both of her hands on the table. And she was a very big presence in the room. So everybody kind of looked around and, and saw that she was gonna say something. And she said, 
Um, I just want you all to know that eight days before I started this group, I was attempted, I attempted suicide. And you girls have saved my life. And she said, and I even put mascara on for you. She said, and it was one of those uh, beautiful group moments where I think um, the women were validated in their kindness to her and they felt like they had a real worth that I think some of them probably hadn't felt in a long time. And um, she kind of validated all of that for everybody with those couple of short sentences and... um, showed a beautiful vulnerability in herself that she had certainly not shown before. She was quite, quite terrifying. So to be able to say that and the, the short sentence about the mascara meant a lot as well because we had talked a little bit about self-care and that was obviously important to her. She, she cared enough about herself to do that and even if she felt that she was doing it for others, it was just a beautiful moment in group work that... Uh, I think couldn't ever happen in any other setting. And that's um, the magic, I think, of of group work and that coming together and validating one another and learning that you're not alone and particularly with domestic violence where women are often isolated and the only um, messages that they're being given are often from a perpetrator that are telling them that they're not very good at much and worthless and got no friends and isolated and all those horrible things that happen. And here was this woman who had been shown a little bit of kindness and um, had come such a long way. And it was it was just a, a really lovely moment to know that these women had been told they'd saved her life. So... Picking up the last bit of our conversation, your question about can a psychoeducation group be therapeutic? Yeah. Well, I'll flick that question to you first. Okay. Was this psychoeducation group therapeutic? I would say absolutely. In what way? Look, we we touched on before whether women were at different points in the leaving the relationship journey, yeah? Um, and I think what this social worker demonstrated was being able to speak to the women at their different points as they needed to be worked with, Mm. yeah? So she talked a lot about the magic that happens, and I love that she used the word magic as well, but the magic that happens in between, in those in-between spaces, right? Mm. So before the group starts, in the break, after the group, those side conversations that actually allow the women to be individual. That that look like she's hosting a, an afternoon tea. Yeah. But like you say, that's the, the, the magic that's going on, checking in with all the, the, the individual women. That's right. And ensuring that safety, a sense of safety is being felt by the by the group which would have been essential in a group like this, but also she was needing to check because there was that very strong member of the group that made her needs voiced very clearly and strongly, and she needed to be checking the impact of that. But, I mean, I think the skill of this social worker was in the tension she would have been holding, watching the group, 
Yeah. Scanning the individuals within the group, getting a sense of how they are, checking in on them, but also allowing this woman a voice. Yeah. Because I got a sense, Mim, this is possibly one little area of her life she might have had a feeling of control in that the group, one, started on time, yeah. and two, that they adhered to the group rules. <laughs> Look, we all like a bit of punctuality, you more than others, Liz. But um, but I think I think you're right. I think that the sense of safety in a domestic violence group would take on that extra layer, that you've got a general psychological safety that's needed within a group setting. But then in this setting, you've actually got a group of women where safety has not been a feature of their lives, right? Absolutely. So their capacity to have control and to have a locus of power about their everyday, it doesn't exist. No. And look, and I think there was that, that fine line that she was walking between there may come a time when the needs of that one individual woman was, sorry, the need of the, the group as a whole yeah. overrode the need of that individual woman. So I think she was keeping that in check all the time around the safety issue because we knew that this yeah. woman was incredibly vulnerable but also volatile. But is that okay, Liz, to prioritise the majority of the women in the room over a vulnerable individual? I, I mean, what do you, where do you stand on that? Like, yeah. is it the need of the individual that reigns supreme in that dynamic or do we think about the group as a dynamic or a function that's bigger than that. And I guess I'm thinking here about the fact that the individual perspective is so incredibly Western, yeah? And in social work, as we know it in Western countries, predominantly that's the, that's the framework we come from, yeah? A very individualised perspective. It's not the case around the world, right? We know that Indigenous um, methodologies and knowledges, we know that uh, Eastern knowledges position the community, the family, the society in a very different way. I, look, you raised some really great points. And I think to bring it back down to purely skills now, yeah, I would say, yes, that sometimes the need of the group does override that of the individual. Not to say that you would not be looking at something. Let's say, for instance, that woman was unable to sit in that space yeah. um, without making the other women feel unsafe. Let's say she had become incredibly volatile and was exploding at the, um, you know, if someone said something and she started to shut the group down. Yes. Or people were not coming to the group anymore. um, It might be that the conversation needs to take place with her about what else could be done to support her because at the moment that the group was not um, able to be the place for her. And I, I like I of course that sounds really clumsy, but I think you do have a responsibility to the group and that there are times in a person's recovery that they may not be able to sit within a group. And sometimes you know, I've run groups where I will individually interview each member of the group to yeah. see if they're going to be up to the group and what the group was going to be doing and what the goals were. Yeah, and I think that's actually really important that um, streaming process or assessing process that might happen before a group starts, especially I mean, a closed group that goes for a period of time. And some people would have said, 
look, could you have maybe deferred her coming to the group until she was sober? I mean, I'm not saying that that was the right thing to do, but there would be some group facilitators that would have questioned her being there. But, I mean, we can look now and see that that group actually was um, able to determine that they were able to care for this woman. So, So it seems to me, just before we move into where the care and compassion really sat in this story... It seems to me that that's the skill of the social worker yes. in the story is to yes. actually step back from what's happening all around them and be able to identify when is the turning point where this behaviour from an individual now derails the group as yes. a whole. And and she would have also, she had that that um, sense of the life of a group too. Yeah. So she used Tuckman's model yes. to kind of, I think you, you remember she was saying that week four mark, things started to calm down. Yeah, week, week six, six was the magic. the magic happened. That's so right. that would have been the performing yes. that was going on. Um, there would have been some storming going on. Yeah. And so she also had that as a template in which she's observing the group, the life of the group, but also the individual members and the impact that it was having. They were saying to her, it's okay, I'm okay. That's right. That They were all saying it without saying it. And the skill that she had was in picking that up, actually. So let's talk about that week six magical moment. But before we do that, let's go back to week one of the group where she said that she met this woman and said to her, all you need to do in this group is turn up. That's all I expect of you. Yeah? Now, week six, there's a payoff Mm. from that comment, right? Week six is when the woman said, before I came on that first day, I had attempted suicide. Mm. Now, that social worker would never have known that when they made that comment. So that social worker was setting safety, setting a safe space to be vulnerable in, regardless of actually having knowledge that that was so acutely needed at that moment. And then we get to six weeks and she says, I was attempted suicide that day. I came to the group and now I'm in a space of safety. And the kindness and compassion that came out of that group, Liz, Mm. I mean, that blew me away. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. And when she made that comment, I'm just trying to remember the actual wording. I even you, uh, I even put mascara on for you. You girls have saved my life. I've even put mascara on for you. Now, to acknowledge the importance of that sentence, right? Amazing. I, for me, that's the skill. That's where the skill of the intervention comes in, that there's a linking between the experience that the woman had before she even turned up the comment that the social worker made for her in week one and then the revelation that came at week six and then the social worker being able to support that group to show kindness and care and compassion at that point of disclosure. That's that's important work, really important work. And what a great payoff for the social worker because it wouldn't have been easy. I got a sense that it was hard to like this client (laughs) and and it raises that question that, that you and I were chatting about earlier can you still do good work with someone that you don't particularly like? Yeah, I know. It's hard. It's hard. It would have been hard to have liked this person. Yeah. yeah. But of course she would have shown her respect. Yes. And she would have accommodated her. Yes. But she so would we have possibly been having an ulcer bleeding every every Wednesday morning <laughs> as she walked in thinking, oh my 
God, what are we going to have today? But it comes back to the values of social work, right? It comes back to dignity, self-worth, client self-determination, right? Like fundamentally, whether we like someone or not isn't the point. We know that we have colleagues who are doing really hard work with perpetrators, right? With all sorts of people who have found themselves in situations where they are not good people, right? And actually, we have to come back to the values of our profession in those days, those really hard days. That's true. Now, can we, with the last few minutes, can we just do another plug for the value of group work? Oh, please. And I know we've done this before on this podcast, but come on, people, get back to some group work. That is absolutely, like, one of the things that I thought about the beauty of a DV group, right? Mm. So many of these women would have been in complete isolation, yeah. Experiencing a lot of shame around the fact that they were in violent relationships. Yeah. No one-on-one therapeutic counselling intervention is going to give you the sense of uh, these people really know what I'm talking about. I'm hearing my story. That's right. Who would have believed that it was someone like you? I thought it was only people like me, but it's also you and you and you. That's right. And you understand it when I say that there were elements to this relationship that I also really loved about and and you're not going to judge me. And I think that's that that's the quality of the safety yeah. that the social worker sets up in the group. But it's also because there is a dynamic that happens in a group, like you say, that just can't happen in an individual intervention. Mm. So social workers, our virtual tribe out there, rethink group work. If that's something you haven't been doing and you think there may be space in the organisation that you're working at, really give it some thought and see whether there's an argument that can be made for a group, whether it's purely education whether it's psychoeducation, whether it's purely therapeutic. So, Mim, we need to wind up now. I know. I know. It's time, Liz. It is time. So before we finish up, I wanted to say a big, 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 big thank you to our student, Katie, who transcribed all of our eco-social work episode. Yeah, what Katie's a massive task. A massive task. So thank you, Katie, and thank you for doing that last interview as well. Yeah. We appreciate the input that we have from our wonderful students. We really do. A lot of people have been asking us for transcripts of the episodes, and so that transcript is now available on our website, socialworkstories.com. And look, it, I think it's great that people can see transcripts of the episodes. We say so much in these episodes, Liz, I wouldn't be able to remember what we talk about. So I think it's great. An amazing feat for a student to do a transcript as well. And Katie's been an absolute star with that. I wanted to read out a, um, a review that uh, one of our beautiful listeners has left us. Okay. I am an MSW student and since a fellow student posted a link to this podcast on our discussion board, I've been binging this podcast. Thank you for what feels like the ability to do a mini placement in so many areas. We'll be recommending to all future and current social workers I know. Isn't that great? That's fantastic. Look, I think it's fabulous that this podcast could be a mini placement. I think that's really awesome. Considering how hard it is across Australia to find placements for social work students, I think this is a good thing. A, a mini placement with, the, with our podcast. I think it's really okay. good. Really good. And also, look, fantastic that this student has contacted us and left this review. If you're a student listening 
uh, to our podcast, then send it round. You know, really send it out there to all your colleagues and get people listening and then write us reviews, send us an email. Uh, Really good to hear from everyone. So if people want to do that, they need to email us at socialworkstoriespodcast at gmail.com. They can also contact us on Twitter and Instagram. Liz, right? You can, Mim, at S-O-W-K Stories Pod. But, you know, if you don't want to write anything, I'm happy with the five stars. Just review us with the five stars. I'm always happy with a five star. Because then the other students will find us easier than... You know those people who might want to vote us with two stars. That's absolutely right. Friends at all. So anyway, happy World Social Work Day to everyone. If you can't gather, find one social worker, grab a toilet roll, (laughs) fight it out in your local supermarket, and post it on Twitter and tag us in it because we'd love to see that. I'd love that. A photo with a toilet roll. Thanks, everyone. Happy World Social Work Day, Liz. You too, Mim. You too, Justin. You too, Ben. You too, Hamish. Welcome to the tribe. Bye, everyone.